You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone, welcome one, welcome all. You're watching another episode of Changing Reality. So for all of you who are tuning in for the first time, where have you been all your lives? This is the place to be. But we would like to extend our warmest welcome to you for our summer edition right now of Changing Reality. So for all of you who maybe are not so familiar with Changing Reality, this is a show from WQHS Radio at the University of Pennsylvania that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are, in essence, changing their own reality. So through this show, we'll be hanging out and interviewing social change makers, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, industry experts, to business owners, to even artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the world. And by hearing their amazing stories, hopefully we'll pick out little nuggets of wisdom that we can use in our own lives as well. And I wanted to do this show simply because I believe that there are so many people out there who do phenomenal things, make waves in the lives of those around them, reinvent themselves in phenomenal ways. And I'm super passionate about uncovering those stories and learning how they actually did that so that hopefully it shortens the learning curve for everyone else's journey. And I've personally seen that these conversations, these stories can go the distance in making a difference in someone's life. And to show you how much I believe in the power of stories, I actually founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance Back at Home in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, that today collaborates not just with our Malaysian Ministry of Education, but also with 28 over countries to help provide an alternative education platform for any student who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities that help them discover what they love doing, go out there and actually get real world experience, get these conversations, these expertise, actually start their own careers while they're still in school. And we've been fortunate to incubate countless number of social-run businesses or social enterprises by students themselves, worked with over 35,000 students across the world, uh, 700 communities, and even received the Diana Award for Social Action and Humanitarian Work. And all of that has been possible because of kind individuals who have been willing to share their stories, who've actually gone out of their way to tell us what they did right, what were the lessons that they learned. And just like that, I hope that this show is that same platform for all of you so that you can absorb the lessons through these episodes and change the world around you in your own way as well. So if you want to know more about the show, if there's anything specific you want to talk about, any experiences that you want to uncover, let us know in the comments down below and we'll try to take as many topics and as many suggestions as we can to make this show as applicable as possible for all of you lovely audience. But today we actually have a phenomenal speaker that I'd like to just jump right into, who is someone who has a world of expertise in this, uh, I would say, technological landscape from leading teams at Google, CultureAmp, LinkedIn, and more. Our speaker today is a senior leader with a background in consulting and expertise in strategy, digital advertising, digital readiness, and much, much more. So without further ado, let's welcome to our virtual stage the Director of Sales Development at LinkedIn, Jordan Lazorkin. Thank you so much. How are you? <laughs> It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, yeah. So as you heard, as you may have heard in our introduction, this is kind of the beginning of our summer series in a sense. So I've been, yeah, I, I've been getting the beginning of summer wrong. I, 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 so finally, this is the first episode of summer because it doesn't, yeah, but yeah. So how is, so as we start, just as an icebreaker, 
how have you been for like I don't know the beginning of the season in a sense like as someone who sees the seasons change do you literally see I don't know leaves falling or like growing or like the, the sun shining how is your beginning of the summer been it's 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 funny you ask Harsha because our our summers in Michigan are the times when everybody comes out of the woodwork so we call it the deep hibernation of of winter where you can tell where summer and spring are starting to come alive when people are out of their homes they're doing gardening there's people walking the streets um, the funniest is here in the states where um, if it breaks 50 degrees Fahrenheit people are outside in shorts and t-shirts it doesn't take much so very different than the Bay Area very different than certain parts of the geography here in the states um, when we see summer coming it's really just sunny days above 50 degrees people outside people enjoying themselves and really over eager sunbathers that's that's how the midwest has started to attribute it to um it also becomes the season of boat life so uh for those people that love to be out on the water um people start to put their boats in and, and have uh and have long weekends on the water with family oh my god that that is a beautiful like picturesque landscape but honestly 50 degrees fahrenheit is like ridiculously cold for me so i'm from a tropical country so summer all year round so that would be like what 10 degrees celsius i i would freeze to death like immediately okay all right and, and people here embrace it people here embrace it they treat it like it's summer they would go they would go bathing suits they would go flip flops they are ready to go at 50 degrees that's all they need Okay, I've obviously got some training to do before my flight. <laughs> I've got to like I don't know, sit in my fridge for a little while just to like prepare. Yes. <laughs> okay, all right. Climatized for sure. That's the that's the benchmark. Fifty degrees for summer. Oh gosh, not mine. Back to the interview, right? I'll I'll, I'll I'll dramatize this and, and worry about it later. But anyway, <laughs> thank you for joining us on the show. My pleasure. And, um, one of the things I think we were talking about earlier was that a lot of our audience are students who are extremely confused and unsure where the future of Veras is headed. And you seem to be someone who has had so many top roles in all of these tech companies, specifically the sales kind of line in, in, in tech, in a sense, which is an amazing place to be, in a sense, and an amazing, I would say, like, like something that I would say students today are planning to get into this. They're strategizing, they're trying to figure out how to be in the positions that you have led, in a sense. So for you, was this part of some grand plan that you had all the way since kindergarten? You're like, this is where the world is headed. This is what I'm going to do. Or are you, were you ever at once as lost and confused as the rest of us? Uh, I was probably more confused, I would say. Um, and I think and I and I say that without, you know, without any question, you know, the the roles that I've had um, didn't exist when I was when I was growing up. Right. When I think about it you know, Google, LinkedIn, and, and even the startups I've worked for weren't even figments of the imagination at that point. And, uh, you know, growing up, I grew up in a household that valued traditional employment. So, um, you know, lawyers, doctors, accountants, things of that nature. Um, so thinking about exploring a, a journey and a path that varied from that was always, was always a little bit of a question mark. So, um, you know, as I, as I, was brought up and I went through my academic journey. I thought sciences, I thought maths, which didn't take, uh, which didn't take very well to me. Um, I entered university, I entered undergrad 
uh, with the intention of becoming a pediatrician. Um, I thought that was going to be where I started off. Um, a bit of a leap from where you are, but okay. A little bit of a leap, a little bit of a leap. Um, I was under the impression that I was going to help solve the challenges of, 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 of youth illness. And I wanted to be one of those really fun pediatricians and doctors that parents love bringing their kids to. Um, you know, I'd gotten through most of my undergraduate work in that in that field and then got to organic chemistry and realized, oh, no, this is not for me. Um, orgo, orgo absolutely had my number. Um, pivoted at that point into uh, in, into more of the business and business uh, accounting. Thought I was going to go into government work. I thought I was going to become an agent with one of the government agencies um, and pursued that for quite a bit. But what I realized very quickly was I was I, I was downplaying those areas that I had strength. I was downplaying the humanities, the um, the social sciences. I was downplaying where I had really really good understanding right of of my capability, and I was trying to fight that to a large degree. Um, so my junior year, I pivoted to business. I pivoted to language, which I which I had a strong suit for, um, and just kept saying yes to those things that ended up playing very well for me, um, that ended up being more natural that I didn't, I didn't necessarily have to have to grind as hard for, but still found great pleasure in. And that's, um, that's sort of that, that, that overlay that I decided at that point was going to dictate my academic career was going to be, where are those courses or where are those faculties that give me a huge amount of pride, give me a huge amount, huge amount of passion, but also I can speak to you fairly well without sounding like a total clown, which was definitely the goal at that point. There's a lot to unpack. I've got a hundred questions, but I think I'm going to ask this to start off in a sense that that is a very powerful story simply because I, knew, I, I work with a lot of kids. And one of the things that I find really tough to do is get them to see those strengths that they have. Like I have this one kid, he's absolutely brilliant. He's, he can post well. He he's, has this total YouTuber personality. And at the same time, he's hardworking. He, he's really entrepreneurial, but he wants to be a lab technician. Um, at a at a space because that's that's how his family or that that's sure. what he's seen his work and I feel like many kids get stuck in again that doctor engineer lawyer accountant very typical things because that's all that they've known in a sense and sometimes though I am a huge believer in the arts and I'm a huge believer in in, in kind of the liberal arts in a sense it Same. can be a bit tough to switch like the focus from from seeing this into something that you can actually pursue or something that you can actually have a living out of for you back then in undergrad. What was the moment or, or, or how did you transition between kind of like, this is what I want to do. This is what I've, I've always thought I want to do. And you know what, this is where my strengths really lie in a sense. Was it just a one day you got struck by lightning and, and a realization came about or was it a gradual kind of shift? I, I think with all things, it's a, it's a gradual kind of shift, right? I think that when you're faced with those, when you're faced with those decisions and in the moment, and I don't want to take this, I don't want to take anything away from your listeners, right? Because as you move through the different the different phases of life, and as, as you sail those different seas of of, of each time period, um, the decisions that you're taking seem to be absolutely monstrous, right? And they seem to have the gravity of the world weighing on them. And then you look back and you think, well, this is really a fork in the road, right? This is this is a step change moment. This is a pivot moment, um, and it's it's defining to an extent, 
but it's also enlightening and uncovering to a, to a, to a certain extent, right? The forcing mechanism for me was the impact of taking courses that didn't fit with me on my GPA and it nosedived my GPA. Um, and that was a really good forcing mechanism. I knew that I didn't want to be somebody who was struggling to meet, to meet my marks. I didn't want to be somebody who was, who was not succeeding, who was not accelerating across their coursework. So that to me was a really good signal. Um, the other piece was, as I found myself sitting in each of those classes and engaging in each of those classes and understanding how I related to faculty, was I drawn into the curriculum, right? Was I really captivated? Was I, was I somebody who was coming up with my own ideas about what I was hearing and listening to, or was I just going with the flow? Um, and that, that really, really spoke to me. Um, the second piece was, as I thought about who I am as a person and what gives me energy, I thought to myself, I'm somebody who loves language. I'm somebody who loves to travel. I'm somebody who loves to understand different cultures. I'm somebody who wants to go and immerse myself. Am I going to get to go abroad if I want to be a dentist? Am I going to get to go abroad if I want to be pre-med? Um, and the quick answer was no. And, and to me right away, I was like, well, you know, as, a, as an 18, 19 year old student going abroad and, and meeting different people and having that experience and having that exposure was as important as anything else. And that was a really large deciding factor for me of, well, if I can't travel and I have to be stuck behind a lab desk and I have to be doing these things, like that's just not my motivation. That's just not my passion. So let me, let me work with deductive reasoning and say, well, here's what I, here's what I know I don't want to do. And then keep <laughs> saying yes to the things that I do want to do. And let's just see where that puts me. Um, and that's, and that's really the lens that I took. And ultimately that led me to the business track and the language track. But I got to a point where I said, I just can't, I just can't sit here all the time. I was like, I need to, I need to get out. I need to go see, I need to go do. And that was, that was the beginning of that journey. Amazing. And I see how that led you. I think you majored in international business and Spanish. Correct. Um, two things that I wish I was smart enough to, to major in a sense, or I wish that, I don't know, I, that same flair for language. I'm still struggling on, on English and, and like my first language, which is English. So definitely a bit of a challenge. I think you're rocking it. I think you're doing great. <laughs> But um, no, so very fascinating. And I also like that other point that you said that sometimes these things can seem extremely terrifying when you are in that position, in a sense. But then in hindsight, you, I guess you just see more bigger problems down the road. And you're like, that was nothing in a sense. How was it like transitioning out of college um, and finally figuring out, OK, you know, this is kind of the, the thing that speaks to me the most compared to what I initially thought, having a clear sense of who you are as a person and then being thrown into this post-college world, which I, I've heard is as scary as college itself, if not even worse in a way. Was it like, OK, I got my dream job right out of college. I'm, I'm going to get started. Or was that in itself a, a process of adjustment? I think I think it's always a process of adjustment, right? And I think the I think the biggest demystification and misnomer coming out of college is that there's this there's this expectation and there's this pressure to think that you have to have it all figured out the second you put on that cap and gown and the second you walk for graduation, um, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, as you think about that intersectionality, right, of what we've learned in theory and what we've learned in textbook and what we've learned in an academic setting, and then you put it in a practice against who you are and what the real world has to battle test you, that's where the real uncovering and learning and understanding takes place, right? So college so, is just the study hour. And yeah, yeah. There's, there's, the, there's the college of undergrad, then there's the college of hard knocks, right? To reference some of our favorite <laughs> R&B songs and hip hop songs, right? So, you know, as you, get, as you get into that next two years and that next four years, 
that's really the formative education, right? And that's where you're really going to go out and think about that litmus test of, well, here's what I thought the work was going to be. Here's what I thought my first job was going to be. Um, and people talk a lot about first and second jobs, like they talk about first and second declared majors of, oh my gosh, well, here's what I learned. Oh, well, here's, here's what those people were all about. Here's what the mission and the morals and the, and, and the, and the values of that business were. And here's how they aligned to me. Because when you're coming out and you're thinking about the values of what do I need to do? It's, you know, I need to be able to return back to my support system and show, look, I'm gainfully employed. Look, I was able to, I was able to procure a job in the field that I majored and I am not wasting anybody's time. I'm not wasting anybody's money. I'm not wasting, you know, society's expectations of myself. I am grinding and earning that paycheck. But if you are just intrinsically miserable in what you're doing, um, that is that is a really important throttle, right? To and a really important measurement tactic to to be to be taking to be taking index of. So um, that was absolutely my case. I think you know coming out, I was working you know, somewhere between 15 and 16 hour days, absolutely grinding, but I was doing it with a group of people that I absolutely adored and it made the work, um, it made the work seem much more enjoyable. So, you know, the factors that, that you weigh in and the way that I would encourage your listeners and your cohort to think about this is, you know, go through the application process, the interview process, and the first several months, if not years of that transition, looking at it the same way that you were evaluating where to even apply undergrad, where to even major undergrad, and use that as a way to really gain more insight and more information about yourself as a worker, as an employee, about what motivates you and what, and what just, again, intrinsically is going to help keep you somewhere. No, that's very fascinating because I feel like we have this, this very rosy image of the world that you're going to get out of school, get your dream job, really something adjacent to that. And then the people will be nice. There'll be a waterfall out there in a sense. You'll be sipping coffee with the sunrise. And then we actually get there. And as you said, there, there are so many different factors that play off each other. There's the work, there's the time, there's the people, there's the actual industry. You're in, there's so many different things that actually make an experience. And all some of them can be antithetical to one another. Some of them can, can be completely pulling you in a different direction. Absolutely. So, yeah, and sometimes it can get very, like, like tough, just getting caught up in that, that we forget about reflecting inwards. Or, or at least right. I often do that like at work that I, forget, I, I get busy with the work and, and, and the complaints and, and the good things that I think I forget to look, what does this mean for me in a sense? For you right. in that first role, tell us a little bit about uh, the, the, the situations or those different interplaying things that you, you mentioned a little bit about it already. But tell us a little bit about how those things helped you inform yourself about you. Totally. So, you know, I think when when I was first starting out, you know, there's there's a few things that I looked at. And I would say that that measurement criteria has shifted over time. And the first thing that I looked at and this was, you know, coming out of coming out of school and wanting to be gainfully employed was literally do do the do the means meet the needs. Right. So am I earning enough to sustain myself? Am I earning enough to be gainfully employed and be able to live the lifestyle that I want to lead? And, you know, am I able to am I able to 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 work to live, not to live to work, which was always a mantra of mine and something that I continue to hold near and dear to my heart, which is I absolutely I absolutely uh, uh, work to live and, and able to in, in an ability to sustain my family and in a way to, to live in a lifestyle that that meets our needs. Um, but can I still enjoy myself? And as somebody who does everything from enjoy the outdoors and I love philanthropy, I love giving back. I've been a coach my whole life for youth sports. Um, do I have the opportunity and the time 
be able to give back to those things. That was number one. Um, the second piece was, you know, do I feel like what I'm doing is impacting society in a positive way? So is the company that I'm working for one that has a benevolent agenda? Is it one that is absolutely thinking about positive social impact, you know, positive professional impact? Um, do we have a part of our business that is working on philanthropy and social impact, right? Do we have, you know, matching for, for donations and do we, do we have days off to go and volunteer? And, and the answer for every single business that I've worked for has been, has been yes. Um, and the third thing, and this is probably the most important is, am I going to be challenged and grown in the role that I'm taking? Meaning when I walk in the room, how do I make sure that I am not the smartest person in the room? How do I make sure that I am not the most experienced person in the room? Um, because if I'm not, that's absolutely going to stagnate my growth and my learning potential. Um, and that's something that I'm very passionate about, of how can I ensure that what I'm doing and how I'm going about doing it is still pushing me across my journey. Um, and I think yourself and many of your listeners are going to consider themselves lifelong learners, and that doesn't stop. Um, and if you can't do that in a comfortable place and you can't do that in a place of trust and, and integrity, it really takes away from, from your enjoyment of that workplace. So that is absolutely something that's critical to me. Nope, nope. Very, very well said in a way. When, when, when you see all of those different things, I would say in some combination play out in a way, how do you, number one, I would say, like, how do you know this getting into the job in a sense? And how do you make the decision to, leave a job if you don't feel that it meets those criteria in a sense because i know so many people who they're like this is not exactly the thing that i that, that, that fulfills me and all of that but it can be a little bit tricky taking that step to actually do something else in a way or at least find something else totally well i think you know i think the the idea of individuals entering the workforce now and working for the same company for 30 or 40 years is a figment of the imagination, right? So, you know, statistically speaking, at least in my field, right, as you think about senior sales leaders and, and, and what the great reshuffle and the great resignation has done, I mean, the average tenure for people that are in my role is somewhere between 18 and 24 months. So the, the expectation to stay and the expectation to, to be in, in, in a specific area for a long time um, I think the expectation from the workforce and the macro environment has dictated something a bit different there. So the the first thing that I would share with your listeners is um, don't box yourself into an unrealistic reality of saying, I have to make this work for five years. And if I don't, I'm really missing the mark on my first role. Um, that's certainly not the case. You're going to be learning at a much faster clip than that. You're going to be digesting and processing a lot more than that. Um, but I think about it in the same way that you might think about a framework in one of your decision analysis classes or one of your organizational development classes, which is it's overlaid both with here's a framework that I can use as I go into each of these conversations, which are what's the slate of questions that I want to ask as part of the interview, as part of my peer set, as part of my uh, as, as part of my networking conversations on the way into a business. And some of those questions, just to be extremely practical, would be um Tell me about your, your social agenda. Um, tell me about the way that you think about your giving methodology. Um, tell me about the landscape of meetings and how do people that are just beginning find voice within your business. Um, tell me the greatest thing that you have done to impact different locations that you work in. Um, tell me about how your workforce mirrors the customers that you serve to make sure that from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective, we are looking like the people we serve because that's really, really important. Um, 
And then finally, it would be, tell me a way that at the organizational level, you adopt growth mindset. That's one of my favorite questions of, tell me a way that you have shifted the way that you do business, either as a result of COVID, post-COVID, a brilliant idea that came from people that are within your workforce. Show me that you have the capacity to change because that's a place that I want to be. Um, and those are, those are just some of the interview questions that, that I ask. As you cross interview them just like, okay, now that, you're, that you've, you've, you've checked me out, I'm going to check you out in a sense. Have to, have to. And that's, that's one of the greatest resources I find as people are going through interviews and even, even informational interviews. It doesn't have to be as part of the formal slate, as part of the formal cadence, is when you're networking with people, talk about what their day to day looks like. Talk about the people they're interacting with. Talk about the way that they're thinking about social impact and volunteerism and, and, and philanthropy. Those are, those are really, really important. Um, but also one of the greatest tools that you're given as an interviewee is when they say, what questions do you have for me? Or what would you like to ask me? Um, to have really powerful, thought-provoking questions ready to go at that point, not only makes you stand out as a candidate, but will further show, show interest and intent and, and purposefulness about the role that you're pursuing. And that's, that's really critical in the eyes of an interviewer. All right, all right. I don't normally dwell on this, but you you make some interesting points, so I'll, I'll ask a little bit more on this in a sense. Tell me yeah. a bit of okay, tell me your most your your best interview story in that case. It could be when you had to interview someone else or when someone interviewed you. What was your best interview story in a way? Oh, I've got I've got a few. I've got a few. I'll, I'll share one that um, pulls at the heartstrings, and I'll share one that's a little bit funnier, right? So I think for for your group, we know how important humor is. Um, so. Um, the first one, and this, this was really interesting when I was, when I was at Google and we were thinking about different ways that we wanted to bring in diverse candidates, um, you know, we were shifting away from our typical pedigree and, and, and historical, you know, university accreditation and then previous roles. And we were really thinking about, you know, ideals of grit. And we were thinking about, uh, you know, principles of ability to influence change and leadership and leadership capability and raw intellectual horsepower, um, and I had brought in several individuals who had worked on Teach for America, right? Which for, for any of your listeners that are not familiar, it's, it's a program that helps to place um, teachers in areas of, of, of the states that are underfunded or struggling with, um, you know, with leadership and with, with personnel um, and puts, puts individuals in school systems um, at different grade levels. And you know, to, much to our surprise and much to our delight, when we got into the interview process and we talked about grittiness and we talked about the ability to think on your feet, um, there really is no cohort like teachers who are serving <laughs> these types of communities who have been forced to do that. And whether it's creating lesson plans or finding ways to tailor a message or building relationships with students who are not used to being in a classroom like this, they had some of the most thought provoking ways of shaping curriculum and getting buy-in and understanding what was motivating to this group that in theory could have been from very different backgrounds than themselves. And that was a really fun one for us of not only changing the way that we interviewed, but bringing in a totally different cohort of individuals to interview. And I learned a ton and, and, you know, sort of the, the end result of what ended up happening was um, of those teachers that I brought in, um, all of them to this day are still with Google. Um, they have each succeeded. On average, they've hit between three and four promotions per person. Um, and they have some of the best leadership scores 
across Google, um, which is which is really really interesting. So that is one that I share as you know here's here's a way to think outside the box and absolutely bring in a, a different a different type of a, a different type of, of leader and a different type of person. Um, the, se the, sec the second story for you, and this is one that hopefully will make your listeners laugh, was one of my favorite questions to ask in an interview is I literally sit back in my chair and I say, teach me something. And I just leave and I just leave it there. And whatever the person wants to teach me, we do. And I just so happen to be interviewing somebody who grew up on the coast. And they said, I'm going to teach you how to surf. And I said, in the interview room, <laughs> in, the interview room in, in our workplace attire. And I said, okay, how are we going to do this? And they go, well, get out of your chair, walk around the table. We're going to treat this swath of floor like it's your surfboard. And literally for five minutes, this person was coaching me through ways to think about paddling out, how to hold myself. How, and, and, the, and the worst part was, Harsha, was that I hadn't thought about this ahead of time, but the, the window shades and the window treatments were up in the conference room <laughs> for the interview. So, so here I am in this conference room that's in the middle of a sales floor and people are watching me like try to push myself up into a surfing position in the middle of what they know to be an interview. And, and I got so many questions after that about what was going on in that interview process. And once I told the story about how I'd asked the person to teach me something, everybody was cracking up, but the question itself started sticking more and more. Um, so it was definitely the most original, definitely the most unique. I will tell you, it worked great in theory. I did try to apply it into the water and I crashed and burned miserably, but work to be done there. All right. All right. Well, if, uh, at the very least, we know that if we need a surf teacher, you have someone's number that we can get referred to. <laughs> 100%. Not going to be me. It's not going to be me. But right. not you. But, All right. Yeah, but, don't ask you that. But that is hilarious. Okay. I think, and, and I think both of those stories are very interesting in a sense because they, they show two different aspects of, of kind of like in picking the people to come in, number one, and also kind of like interesting things that people don't really think about during the interview process. That's very fascinating. And uh, you, you definitely like answer that question much better than I would have ever expected. I did not expect either of those examples. Like, oh gosh. And I know this from knowing many teachers and many crazy <laughs> potential people who yes. would probably do something like that. And wow, right? There, there's hope for the world. Yeah, got it. There is, there is. When we talk about some of the careers that you or the roles that you've had, you you've been in many of these big companies. We I think one of the companies you worked with was acquired by Microsoft early on in your career, or at least they were acquired after you you were there in a sense. So you must have rubbed some magic off on your way out. Anyway, you you were at Google today, you're at LinkedIn, and these are again things that people like dream about getting into. But as you said, these were not exactly companies that. Um, were the big names when you were a kid that you probably didn't even think about mm -hmm. like like plotting towards them. How did you go about, number one, crafting your career in a sense that it gets to all of these places? Or, or tell us some of the stories of how you actually started these roles in a way. It's a good question. Um, so I think, you know, when you... When you look at the way in to each of these businesses, it's it's really it's really an exercise in two things. It's understanding your value and your capability. And the second is the value of the human network. So one of the ways that I have thought about what I want to do with my career, and you know, it, it actually started in academia, right? So I was I was somebody who when I finished my graduate work, I did my graduate work um, between 2012 and 2014. Um, I'd come out of that learning exercise and thought to myself, you know, what do what do I really want to be doing? What do I 
really want to be a part of? And where do I really see myself um, wanting to work and wanting to angle and, and wanting to find uh, wanting to find a career? And I've been bouncing around a little bit. And I think that this 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 speaks to some of what we were discussing earlier of not exactly finding that right fit for myself, not exactly finding the work that spoke to my passions, not exactly finding the culture that I really wanted. And I had a few friends at that point that worked for Google. I had a few individuals who I knew were going to be, um, were going to be really valuable networkers for me and really valuable points of points of reference. And the more and more I learned about Google, and the more and more I learned about what they were doing and what they were building, the more interested I became. And, you know, I started to vet and say, you know, is my skill set, is my expertise going to be relevant? Am I somebody they could potentially be looking for? You know, where should I be thinking about my inroads? Um, and then once I got serious about it, you know, you start to think about just the, the, the massive mountain to climb of the number of applications that they get per role. And that's where the human side really weighs in. And that's where the network really factors in. And I reached out to one of who is my best friends to this day. Um, she's somebody who's still at Google. Um, and I asked, I said, hey, what would be the best way for me to get in front of people and, and start to have these conversations? And it started with networking conversations. It started with coffee chats. It started with tell me about your needs. Tell me about my profile. And, and where do you see gaps? And where do you see, where do you see synergies? And then it just became a version of telling my story and, and sharing with individuals what I wanted to do next. And part of coming into Google meant also um, taking a step back. And, and that means, you know, I wanted to come in and I wanted to have this audacious title and I wanted to have, um, I wanted to have all of this responsibility. But coming into one of these tech titans actually meant I had to prove myself. And, and you know, they, they were interested in my work as a consultant. They were interested in my work in these startups, but it didn't it didn't beget right one of these larger roles. And it was come in and, and really work for a year, a year and a half and let us get to know you and see your caliber and see who you are. And that then would set me up on a trajectory to be able to go and pursue those roles that I wanted. So once I was able to. Um, you know, wrap my head around the fact that there's a little bit of humility and a little bit of humbleness, right, that you have to, that you have to employ in order to get to one of these places, the rest sort of took care of itself once you were inside and again, networking and, and building and building out your cadre of support. This all, no, no, that is very fascinating. And I feel like in terms of setting a goal, you outline that process beautifully in a sense from thinking, internalizing, checking your network, going out there. Like I have friends who could write a, a paper on networking just based on that one answer you gave to the question. I'm serious. You, you hit like a bunch of points. So like, great job yeah, for the answer yeah. in a sense. But in practice, I know that that's something that can be very frustrating in that process in a sense of, of having to constantly like yeah. talk to people, meet a data and get something and then realize, okay, there's still some work to be put in so it, it it can be a bit of a frustrating time in a sense between exactly. a lot of this informal networking how do you navigate that that's something that personally i i've always had a little bit trouble or even in some current projects where i have to start again from scratch in a sense it can be extremely mentally tiring because you don't exactly see the light at the end of the tunnel all the time but you still have to essentially exhaust all options to get there so so for you in that process how do you navigate there's, there's a couple ways that I think about it. And, and the first is, um, you know, it, am I looking at this company at the right time? Right. So, you know, there's there's this sense of urgency and the sense of immediacy. And part of what I would encourage you and your listeners to think about is that, 
you know, it, particularly with some of these larger tech companies that I've worked for, um, you know, especially a LinkedIn where I've, I've, I've boomeranged back in a sense, right? So I, I left and, and returned. Um, the value of the network and the value of timing is 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 really an overlay that people need to take into consideration. And, you know, are they going through, um, you know, their version of mass hiring or surge hiring, and it's a really good time to come into the business? Are they hiring for roles that speak to your background, to your experience or not? Or are you trying to force fit? Um, have I been trying to leverage the wrong person to help get me into the role? Meaning, have I been thinking that I am this type of worker, I'm this capability, I'm this skill set, but maybe I'm misreading myself, right, across what this role is and this job is. And the reason that we do that is when we look at roles, we look at them through two brains, right? We look at them through the practical and we look at them through the aspirational. And there's the, oh, I really, really want this job because I think it sounds amazing. I think it's going to be rewarding. And I think the title is great. And I think the location's ideal. And then there's the other piece, which is how do I actually correspond to these requirements that are on the sheet? And, and how do other people that are competing with me, right, stack rank? And if we don't have a good level-based understanding about where we are, right, in that process and in that stack ranking and in that capability set, it can be a very, very frustrating journey. So what I would encourage your listeners to think through is to say, you know, have I been beating my head against this wall for long enough that I need to try to network through a different angle? Um, it, it is what I believe to be my expertise, the same way that a recruiter for this firm would see my expertise or what am I missing or what do I need to do differently? Um, the other thing that I would say is, you know, do I have the relevant experience to come in and do what I want to do? Or is it better for me to go do something else for a year, year and a half, two years, and then return back with that, with, with that type of experience? So, you know, the, the idea of the forcing of needing to find a role is typically directly coinciding with that frustration that people feel of, well, if I can't get this role right now, while I need it, when I need it, Oh, I'm just throwing, you know, I'm just throwing everything to the wind and I, I guess I need to start over. Play the long game and understand where you fit relative to that business and to that hiring manager's needs and have a very open conversation about where you are in your, in your preparedness for it. No, no, very, very true. You you also are someone who don't just, you number one, work at, again, top companies all around the world. But I also noticed that you, you, and you mentioned this a bit earlier, that you also worked with startups, you consult businesses. I think even right now you're helping out at the Stealth startup as well. What do you think or, or how are the experiences in a startup or these in that world different from the world of these big tech titans, as you said, um, very eloquently? So both... Both of them, I, I would say at times, they, they have similar yet very opposing goals. Both of them are, are trying to be at the at the forefront of innovation, of often technology and all of that, but with two wildly different approaches. And you who have seen both, how do your experiences differ in both of these areas? It's, 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 a, it's a really, really good question. And I would say the reason that I do that is because my passion resides with startups. I love the people. I love the ideology. Um, I love, um, I just, I just love the energy around a startup, right? When you have a big idea and a lot of people rowing in the same direction and wanting to solve a really good, interesting business challenge, um, that, that type of energy and that type of, um, that, that type of angle is, is really, really addicting, right? Because you just want to be around that energy. You want to be around that purpose, right? And I think 
you're somebody who probably gets this better than most, right? Because you've worked in so many fields and you have so many passions and you have such great success, right? In, 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 in a number of those different areas, largely as a result of being able to align your passion to others and others seeing the value in that passion. Um, and that's part of what I love in the startup field is, you know, what can I do to help bring some of this biz business, this this bigger business perspective of yeah, there's operational rigor, yeah, there's 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 some structure that we can help bring. Um, there's absolutely some cadence and some flow that helps to organize the chaos. It helps to it helps to bring it helps to bring process to the passion, as we call it. Um, and that's where I see a lot of that interplay is you know the 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 education that you get from working at a Google, at a LinkedIn is you learn operational rigor, you learn forecasting, you learn how to operate within the, the bounds of a business, you learn how to go through a formal business case, you learn how to apply for additional resourcing, you learn how to advocate for individuals to try to make somebody be seen in a certain way, right? When you think about promotion criteria and the value of a contributor. Um, and a lot of times when you're getting into the weeds with these smaller businesses, um, they don't have that same, they don't have that same luxury. And I call it a luxury because everybody is wearing eight hats. Nobody is sitting down and saying, you know, what do we need to do in order to make sure that from an incrementality standpoint, we're improving? Um, what's the measure by which we know that we're better tomorrow than we were yesterday? Um, and those are the questions that are really, really insightful to be asking um, and the ones that really help speak to the passion. So, you know, as I'm working with these founders and as I'm working with these CEOs and I'm working with um, these like big, big idea individuals, you know, the questions that you end up asking are the really foundational questions of how do we know? How are we going to measure? What's the three month run rate? What's the return we want to see? How do we think about the attribution of what this is going to yield? Um, how do we know that this is the right move versus that move? And you just, you ask a lot of the questions that I've been pressed to ask, right? Coming from some of these larger businesses and you just have really good conversations. Um, and that's, that's something that I love. And that's also why I've spent time in both because you cannot, you cannot really speak to each of these worlds without having lived in them. Um, because the people that exist in them are, are slightly different. No, that is very, very well said. And, and I think part of running a startup is that fear of looking at all of these things, because number one, you don't have time to look at it at the first place. And right. then second of all, it may show you a reality that, that shows some of the work that you're doing being redundant or, or having to restructure, which is a headache in itself. So having those, I would say, tough or at least different conversations among startups, I think that is a very good point that makes a world of difference. And oh gosh, I pity all the startups that work with you, or at least I, I'm sure that they're very grateful and, and, and I'm in awe of kind of the, the, that expertise that you bring to them. So oh, that's thank you. Um, tell me also a little bit about your current role right now at LinkedIn. Um, I know when we think about sales, as one group of people will think that you are on like, like at a market selling fish or selling chicken or something. Another group of people will think that you are commanding this huge team and everyone has this huge client, which is probably more accurate to what you're doing. And, but at a lot of these tech companies, in a sense, sales is not necessarily the traditional kind of sales where you're not necessarily always talking about a specific product. It could be having a client that you need to get BR markers out. It could be having a project or, or something a little bit different than what people in traditional sales always think about and sales and business development in these tech companies often do come hand in hand. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got into this role in a sense and the journey that you've had in the few months that you've been there already. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I really appreciate the question. And the reason, um, the reason that I took on this role, which is different than other roles that I've had. So for, for, for individuals and for, and for folks that are listening that, you know, may, may look at my LinkedIn and may look at other roles that I've had, this role is distinctly less customer facing than other roles that I've had. Um, and, and this speaks uh, very much to the journey that I wanted to, that I wanted to engage on and, and participate in, which is, if I think about rounding out sort of my general manager type of curriculum in education, being <laughs> able to work on, uh, you know, the biz op side and being able to work really closely with marketing and being able to think about the lifeblood of an organization, right, which is its lead gen mechanism uh, and that flywheel, this was a good place to lean in. So, um, you know, categorically, let's just talk about what it, what it is that I do on a day to day and, and what I do to cash a check, which is... Um, my team for North America, so uh, for, for the region, is responsible for arming our sales teams uh, with the leads that they then go and pursue um, to then close and win business. So very, very simple. So we, we work on an inbound lead uh, philosophy. We work on an outbound lead philosophy. So inbound meaning anything that organically is coming to us. Uh, and then outbound are things that we ourselves right are, are procuring and, and mining. Um, and we do that across our three major business units here at LinkedIn. Um, the way that I found myself in this role is coming off of the year that I just had at CultureAmp, we were building this machine globally. And I learned quite a bit about the value of leads and lead scoring and the way that we'd look at attribution modeling and the way that we think about the time horizon of leads and, uh, and, 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 and the average contract value that comes from different lead sourcing and the way that you think about paid versus owed versus earned. And that played very well in my Google days. Um, I wanted to come in here and, and help to build that machine and really help, you know, make that, that machine more efficient. Um, and that to me was, was really interesting. Um, the other piece of this role that I found to be really intriguing is that it has a seat at the table with marketing, with strategy, with selling. Um, and, and that has sort of these like spider web cracks into the rest of the business that are really, really critical. So um, in terms of thinking about influence, a lot of times when people think that, you know, sales development is a nice to have, uh, people will think about it as, as a support function, but here at LinkedIn, it, it really isn't. I mean, it, it is attributing to large, large swaths of, of our revenue contribution and is a very, very strategic role. Um, and that is something that was very much speaking to me as I thought about my next step. Um, and it's, as, as it turns out, the leadership and the people that are in these roles, like we talked about earlier, are also folks that are going to challenge me and grow me, which is, is critically important. It's amazing how in every single, like, like I feel like in every, like a common thread we've been having in this interview has been, how do you kind of like come up with this curriculum of life in a sense and how each of those like careers that you have or each of those things that you have basically sh like contribute to this huge, I would say lifelong MBA program that you seem to be running for yourself. And I think that's a great way to look at life and, and careers that you have. How do you to, to get a role like this? Number one would require a lot of internalization and thinking. Okay, you know what is my next step, and it would also require a lot of that, that process of networking and going out and getting it. For all of those who are right now um, thinking about either making a career change or thinking about what career they should start to pursue, in a sense, how do they go about number one summarizing a lot of these tips that we've had in, throughout this interview yeah. in creating that curriculum for themselves? Because they may not be able to see, all right, you know what, this is my passion. This is exactly what I want to do. They're, they're, they don't exactly have that light bulb moment that I'm going to go into cancer or anything. But they may have things like you said that are important to them. 
that they, that give them passion in a sense. And you've structured your whole career in a very interesting way where you do several different things that, that, that create that, that passion in a sense. How do they go about thinking about a career that way? The, the, the first, it, it's, it's absolutely the first and guiding principle, right? For everything that I hope your listeners do, which is being true to themselves. That is the first and foremost, right? As they're thinking about going through each of these roles, as they're thinking about procuring these roles, what I will be the first person to tell you, Harsha, is that like my role was not pure ladder. There was lattice, there was up and to the right, there was down and to the left, there was, you know, there was battling recession, uh, multiple recessions, there was figuring out right fits, figuring out wrong fits. There was stints of different tour of duty, right? So uh, if there's a mistake to be made, I've made it, right? So it wasn't all up and to the right. And largely that is because I might've had a different view on a role than it actually turned out to be. Or the role itself may have been a different type of work than I wanted it to be. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the greatest learnings for me, which I think is really important is coming out of COVID, when I decided that I wanted to come back to LinkedIn, I did it because I wanted to work, uh, you know, I wanted a work-life balance that felt different. So I have, I have three small kids at home. We had been through a pandemic. I realized I'm not an educator, but I wanted to spend as much time with them as possible. Um, and working the number of hours that I was as, at a startup wasn't as fulfilling to me at, at that point. And it was, and it was, it was taking away from my ability to really hit that work-life balance. So, you know, as I'm thinking about what your listeners can look at and, and evaluate, it's don't think about the company and the role as the end goal. Think about what you want to be doing, who you are as a learner, who you are as an employee, as the must-haves. The rest will come through network and through expertise. So do not try to put the cart before the horse. Absolutely take your time. Absolutely network. Gain valuable experience. Know that many of the roles that you're going to be pursuing may not even be in existence today like they were when I was coming up through school. So be patient with it. Um, but really invest as much time as you possibly can in learning what drives you as you do in the relationships with people that will ultimately help you along your journey. You know, that is a phenomenal answer and I think a phenomenal summary to our entire episode. I feel like you're the kind of person that we could ask you a hundred different questions on a hundred different themes and we'd still have more conversation to, to uncover in a sense and so much more that we can learn. And, and I really appreciate you taking the time that you did in this interview because it's honestly been so many topics that have made my brain spin a little and made me think about things a little bit differently. So I can only imagine our audience is equally as amazed by it. So, so thank you for, for being here and for sharing your expertise with us. It was truly my pleasure. Thank you for having me and um, happy summer uh, to all and uh, to your listeners. Hopefully, hopefully it was a, was a value and thank you again for the opportunity. All right. And with that, I guess um, I hope our audience had as much fun as I did today in our interview. And um, if you guys enjoyed today's session, make sure you let us know in the comments. You drop us a like if you can. And you join us again next Thursday at 10 p.m. EP, always here on Change Generally. And with that, this is us signing off. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.